It's good to see your faces. If you're new this evening, I want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us this evening. And um, we've been walking through the Gospel of John now for the last few months. And, and what John is trying to do for us is he's trying to uh, make our hearts come to a fuller knowledge of who Jesus is as God, as Lord and Savior, so that we might believe in him, but then also so that we might see him more fully. And so in that belief, we receive eternal life. And so that's the beauty of the Gospel of John. It's constantly pointing us to that. And that has eternal implications for our soul, but it also has an impact on our daily lives. And so we're going to take a look at that. And so I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me up to John chapter 9 as we pick up in there. But first, I want to ask you a quick question. Um, Have you ever been in a circumstance where you had the desire or at least thought about asking the question, why me? Like, you're in a circumstance that's difficult, and you're saying to God, like, why is this happening to me right here, right now? What is the cause of all of this? And I think most of us get into that, right? Like, that does happen, that we can resonate with that, and, and I'm not different than that. I, I can totally understand that and feel that. Um, and and I, I ask those questions. About nine years ago or so, uh, my previous wife passed away in a car accident, and I asked those very same questions. Because I was in this deep and utter pain. I was angry with God. I was frustrated with him. I didn't understand what was going on. And I asked the questions with the honest prayer life, probably the most honest prayers I could probably ever pray, and just said, God, why? Why this? Why me? Why her? Why now? What good could come from this? And after I asked the question, I waited and waited, and he didn't answer the question. In fact, he didn't answer the question at all. What he did instead was he gave me what I really needed, and that was peace. He gave me peace that surpasses all understanding, and the way he did that was not by miraculously bringing her back to life. It wasn't by erasing my memory of who she was, and it wasn't by helping me pretend as though it didn't actually happen. No, the way he did that, he allowed me to see a grander picture He gave me peace to see a picture of life that's outside of myself. He allowed me to see the fact that it was better for her to be with my heavenly father than to be in a sin-cursed, broken world. He allowed me to see that in the midst of my suffering, I was able to see him more clearly. I was drawing nearer to him than I had ever done before in my entire life. I could see him more clearly displayed. And then he showed me that, hey, I'm also going to use that for my glory and show myself to others more clearly through your suffering. And so he granted me peace by showing me that there's something grander. And so by God's grace, in the, in the midst of our suffering, we, we're able to see God working a grander plan than us being comfortable and complacent in this life. Because what he wants to use is those moments and those seasons in our life to show his glory, to show his glory to a redeemed world, to a world that he wants to redeem. And so today's account in chapter 9 is actually no different. Uh, he wants to show us some of the same things. My, and my hope this evening would be that you would see more clearly that the gospel is not about us getting an easier life, but it's about God's displaying his glory through the work of Jesus on the cross. And so my first point this evening is Jesus' eyes. As we pick it up in verse 1, it says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. 
And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Gross. And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus was walking along and he saw this man in one of the lowest places possible. Because since he was born, he would have been destitute from the moment he was born. He was destined to be a beggar. To be a person who is in deep poverty, a person rejected by society. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, or if you know your Bible decent, you know that when Jesus sees guys like this, he goes headlong after them. He goes right after that guy. And so as society walks past and sees his mess, sees the trouble, sees the misery, and walks past him, Jesus runs headlong toward him instead. And before Jesus could do the miracle in this guy's life, his disciples asked a question. And honestly, I think it's a good question. It's a very important question, one that I think we would also ask in the midst of this when we're standing with God incarnate. And so verse 2, his disciples asked the question, and their question is, why did this guy, what did this guy do to deserve this? Like, was it his sin in his life that led to him being in this position? Or was it his parents' sin that led him to be in this position? Because they thought, they were like, man, why, what would make this guy deserve this kind of atrocity in his life? Because if this guy got this, man, he must have done something awful. And Jesus simply says in verse 3 and 4, He nor his parents sinned to cause this. This was allowed so that God's glory might be displayed in him. And so simply put, bad things happen, is what he was telling him, saying, yes, bad things happen. Is it because of this man's sin? No. Is it because of sin in a general sense? Absolutely. But it's not a one-to-one ratio saying that if you sin, God punishes you with this. Yes. So what Jesus was pointing out to these guys is like, yeah, the bad circumstances in this guy's life is not the very thing that caused this. Because if you look from that flawed point of view, it's kind of a dangerous concept. If we look at our Lord Jesus, for instance, well, he was flogged, meaning he was beat on his back with probably some of the most horrible things you can imagine. He was given a crown of thorns. He was spat on by individuals and then eventually hung on a cross by nails in his hands which is one of the most atrocious deaths that you can ever experience in your life. And yet, if we take that point of view, we have to say Jesus did something horribly awful, right? Or we can look at the Apostle Paul who wrote half of our New Testament. At the end of his life, we're like, man, he must have sinned desperately if we look at it this way. Because he was shipwrecked, he was beaten to the point where people thought he was dead, and then he was also stoned. Man, he must have did something awful if that's the case. And if we operate out of that view, we can look at the guy Job, who in one foul swoop lost his kids, lost his housing, lost his possessions, lost his health, and lost his wealth in one foul swoop. He must have done something awful, right? The problem with that is our Bible, because our Bible says that Job was a righteous man. 
The Bible says that Paul was, yes, he called himself the greatest of all sinners, but he's also the one who walked with Jesus probably more faithfully than a lot of people. And the problem with that is that when we look at our Jesus, we know that he did not sin. And so we can't look at it from that way. And so when we look at life's problems, it's not necessarily an issue of a one-to-one ratio between sin and punishment. It's a reality that we live in. You see, the first man named Adam disobeyed God and brought sin into the world, allowed Satan to have some control over the world and brought sin and death in it. And then he also brought just this darkness that comes around, the works of darkness. And then this is what Jesus says to his disciples in the midst of that. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so what our sin and Satan intends for evil, God comes in and says, hey, I'm going to use it for good, even though that was your intention. So he's not the cause of these problems, but he is going to use them. You see, God wants to give himself glory, and so he's going to use those bad things and turn them into something good something glorious for himself. And so it's not any different for this guy, and what he does in this guy is simply amazing. So he sends a guy off and performs a miracle, and it can't be done in human form. What I mean by that is we live in the 21st century, which means we have the height of technology, medical advancement, and science ever to be on this earth, and yet... It is impossible to take a man who was born blind and make him see. You see Jesus flexing a little bit for us here? Like he's, try, he's showing his glory on display by doing something that's impossible. In his love for this man, he does something that we can't humanly do. And he gets to display himself in that. Yes, he uses technology and science and medical advancements for his glory as well. But in this moment, he said, I'm going to do something special because I'm God. I can do that. And so let's just say he thought outside the box a little bit. And what he did is he spat on the ground, made some mud, and rubbed it on dude's eyes. Somebody want to do a healing service right now where we can do that? I'll sit on the mud. No, 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 you don't want that. Okay, we won't do that. But what Jesus did see, he saw the man with his eyes in a desperate situation, and he initiated him. He initiated that man and healed him and called him to obedience. So he said, get up and go wash your eyes away. And as he washed the mud off his eyes, he could see the miracle took place. And see, like, this is why this matters. This man didn't approach Jesus. He didn't come after Jesus. In fact, he couldn't see Jesus physically speaking. But Jesus initiated him in his blindness and gave him sight. And he continues to do that, as we saw several weeks ago, that Jesus is the one that initiates the lame man and makes him walk. And Jesus is the, is the God of the universe who came and initiates the dead man and gives him life. The whole point here is not that we would seek God first, but that he seeks us so that he might be the hero of the story. If we initiated God, then we would be the ones that would be given the glory. This man received sight not for the benefit, his benefit exclusively, but for God's glory. This book right here, not a guide map for your life. I promise you that. It might be helpful, but it's not a guidebook for your life. What this is, is God's glory on display within the, his creation and within his redemptive work with people. That's what this is. It's not a roadmap for your life. It wants to display God's glory And this miracle points to another suffering that we see in Scripture, actually. This miracle points to where the sin of man was put on the Savior of man, Jesus. And Jesus suffered an ultimate death, so we don't have to. 
And so when Jesus raised from the grave, what he allowed is the opportunity for us to actually see for the first time God's glory on display in its truest form. And so like this man's obedience of going to be sent to the pool of scent and clean off his face so that he might see, Jesus' eyes saw our helpless state and out of obedience was sent on our behalf so that we might see spiritually, so that we might have spiritual sight. And Jesus went to the cross to wash away our sins like the guy's mud so that we can receive that sight. And so my first point is that Jesus' eye sees us in our blindness and initiates us in our spiritual blindness. And as we carry on in the story, we pick it up in verse 8 through 12, and we start to see what happens after the man is healed. And so he gets up and he, he walks over back to where he was, where Jesus had first initiated him. And Jesus isn't there. But who is there is his, his neighbors and his parents and the people that were around at that time. And as he's standing there, the people are asking questions like, is this the dude that we saw earlier begging or is it somebody that just looks like him? Is he his doppelganger? Or they were asking the question, they were asking the question, how did this happen? Who did this? Why did this happen to this man? And as I'm reading through that part of the text, it struck me to my core and said, where's the celebration? Where's the hallelujahs? Where's the party? Where's the excitement over what just happened? You mean to tell me that this man from the time he was born could not see anything and all of a sudden he can see and the first question they want to ask is how? No. Think about it this way. Up until this point, this man literally had zero visibility. He couldn't see anything. And so he walks over to the pool because some strange man told him so after putting mud in his face. And he washes it off, and all of a sudden, I guarantee you, I, I, I can almost bet, in that water, he was able to see his reflection for the first time, to see his own face, what he looks like. And then when he turns around and gets up and walks back to where he was, he looks around, and he can see people. He can see colors. He can see figures. When he picks up a loaf of bread, he can see what he can smell all of a sudden. When he would go and visit his parents, he would feel their faces, I guarantee you, so that he might know maybe what they might look like. And for the first time when he grabs his mom's face, he can see it. And these people are asking the questions of how. And no one, from what I can see in our text, is celebrating this beautiful miracle that this man was blind and he can now see. And so my second point is blind eyes. Blind eyes can't see past themselves and they miss the miracle of new life. This dude was given a new life altogether. He no longer had to be resort to begging. He could now get a job. He could now be resourceful for himself. And so beginning in verse 13, what we find is that that creates a controversy. It creates a controversy because the people that saw him were seeing him through blind eyes. And so let me show you as we pick it up in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisee the man who had formerly been blind, Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. You see, the blind eyes of these religious people, all they see is works and religious performance and not grace. 
The Pharisees saw that Jesus didn't uphold their particular standard of conduct of the way they would like him to do it because he did a miracle on the Sabbath. They were so caught up in forms and figures of the proper way of doing things rather than actually just paying attention to see what God is doing among them. And we can, we can so often be so focused on human perfectionism or morality that we lose sight of the redemptive work of God in broken, imperfect people. And so that's what they're doing. These blind eyes couldn't see clearly that God was at work. And the blind eyes also miss what God is doing by worrying about their own reputation and social appearances. This, this is a blindness that actually can be easily justified in our hearts. Look with me on how it plays out for this formerly blind man's parents when they're confronted with it. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he, how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. And so his parents in this moment didn't completely disown him, right? Like they owned up, yes, this is my kid. Yes, he was born blind. However, immediately after that, they kind of sidestepped a bro and said, hold up. I got your back, but way back here, okay? Like I'm going to let you handle that on your own. You're a grown man now. And why did they do that? Well, because they didn't see Jesus as more valuable than their social construct. They didn't see Jesus as more valuable than their relationships that they had already had. Because at that time, during Jesus' day, to be in the synagogue was to be with your friends, with your neighbors, with your family, with your people. And so if the Jewish leaders here said, if you confess Jesus, you're put out of that community, there's a risk there. There's a real risk that comes with that. And so you're like, don't we feel that way sometimes? Don't we enter into this relationship with Jesus, not expecting to lose relationships over, but when we find out that there's a possibility, we kind of teeter in two different arenas. One arena, arena on a Sunday morning, we show up, we say, yes, we love Jesus. My whole life belongs to Jesus. But then when we get around our friends who don't necessarily love Jesus, we start to act a different way and we kind of say, you know, Jesus is okay. He's not that big of a deal of my life. I do go do church on Sunday mornings. And we kind of rush back and forth between that. And we treat Jesus as if he's some middle school friend. Remember that awkward kid that you were friends with when he was at your house, but when you got around your cool friends, all of a sudden he didn't matter? Like, that's what we're treating Jesus like sometimes. And guess what? I get it. I totally get it. One of our deepest needs in the human life is for community. Like, we desire community and to be connected to others, even if that means superficiality. We'll take it because we desire to belong to something so deeply. So if Jesus says we're going to lose that community, we have a real tension in our hearts, right? So here's the good news, though. Jesus left his community with God the Father and God the Son so that you and I might commune with him. 
so that we might see that he's worth the loss of other relationships because we gain a relationship with him. And not only that, he ups the ante and says, I'm not going to just give you a community. I'm going to give you a family. Now, we've said this time and time again, and so I'm going to press home one more time, City Light. This is not an organization to affiliate with, but it's a family to belong to. That's why we continue to, to advertise, to promote, to push city groups. Because we know that Sunday morning and Sunday evening is great. Like, I'm so glad that you're in a room. I'm, I love you. I care about you. However, I also know for your continued growth and health, city groups is the primary way you're going to get that. You can't do Christianity alone. You need a family, and God has provided that family. I want so much for you to have a family, a group of people that you can be around, and you don't feel like you have to keep up with the Joneses anymore. I want you to be a part of a family where you know that you can stand in the room boldly, raise your hand and say, hey, I'm not fine. Things are not okay in my life right now. And know that they're not going to disown you, but they're actually going to walk with you through that season. I want you to be a part of that family and be able to walk in an authentic relationship with real people, with real issues that serve and love the real Jesus. And so sometimes our blind eyes, though, we miss those miracles of what God is doing because we start to judge what other people are doing or, or we, we don't want to lose relationships or, or some sort of social status because our eyes are blinded to that Jesus is in fact worthy and more valuable than those things. Our blind eyes also can miss God's message. And the Pharisees did what the parents said and they started to question him. And so we pick it up in verse 24 where the Pharisees for the second time called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that through, though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you, you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reveled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. So he started some fighting words there, right? Like he's getting a little sassy with these guys saying, hey, you want to go follow him or something? Is that why you keep questioning me? And so they're pressing him saying, hey, give glory to God. And he's like, I am. I've been trying to explain that to you. You see, City Light, we are in the same boat as the formerly blind man. See, we enter into this world completely and utterly blind. Spiritually speaking, we are spiritually blind from birth, and the only way we are to gain sight is for God to come in and open our eyes to it. The Lord has to first open our eyes and reveal himself to us for us to not be blind. You see, the Pharisees thought that they could already see. They were looking at their moral standards and and their hierarchical religious beliefs as seeing God rather than seeing what Jesus was doing clearly around them. And so in their blindness, they actually miss God altogether. And the blind man explains to them, these religious leaders, how God works in verse 29. He says, we we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why? This is amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of our God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. 
If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so their blindness, like ours, comes from a place of pride. They were looking at the man from his former life. Because they said it to him in verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? You see the dripping pride out of that statement to say, hey, I don't understand how a person like you can instruct me. Who are you to tell me? I'm a religious leader. You were just a beggar five seconds ago. And this man clearly explains the beauty of God. And and they look at him and they say, what? You can't teach me. And so what they told him was to get lost, you sinner. They were so blind. They were so blind that they, they go right back to reminding him of his past rather than seeing the man right in front of him in his glory. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever had a friend or someone that you knew approach you and, and just remind you of what you used to be? I have. And it's one of the most hurtful things that could ever happen. So I first came to faith in Jesus. Uh, he first opened my eyes to clearly see him my freshman year in college. And I was so excited. I was pumped about it. And, and I still am, quite frankly, if you can't tell. I'm really excited about this Jesus guy. And so I was so pumped, though. I was like, I'm going to go tell everybody. Everybody I know needs to hear this good news. And so I call my friend up and say, hey, you and me got to go to lunch. I'll buy. So we go to Olive Garden. I don't know why I said that, but we did. Uh, and I'm sitting there with him, and I'm so excited. Like, I've been praying for this dude all week long, and I start to share the gospel with him. And as I'm sharing the gospel, sharing my story, I'm thinking in my head, this is going to be amazing. God's going to enter in his life. It's going to be wrecked forever. He's going to love Jesus, and he's going to run with this message of the gospel. And so when I finished up, I'm like, all right, what's he going to say? And the first thing out of his mouth was, who are you to point my sin out to me? I remember when you used to do this. I remember seeing you do this. I remember when you used to say these things. Who are you to tell me? And it crushed me. My heart was broken, not because he pointed me to my other life, actually. My heart was broken that his pride had blinded him so much that he didn't even hear me say that the God of the universe sent his son to die for yours and my sins so that we might have eternal life. He missed the point. He missed the message. He missed God. He was so blind to it, and it crushed me because his pride wouldn't allow him to see clearly. He was blind. And the man, in our story, put it plain to the religious leaders to how God was at work around them, but they couldn't see past themselves. They couldn't see God working in this person in front of them because they thought that they had it figured out. They definitely wouldn't. They would put God in a box and say, this isn't what God would do. He could never work in that way. And for a second, I want to encourage you, if you're a new follower of Jesus, praise God for that, eh? If you've you've been following Jesus for a week or a year, I want to encourage you and say, you have a story that God wants to tell somebody else. He wants you to take that freshness, that newness of the gospel and pass it on to someone else. Don't let the pridefulness of other people be a barrier to you because I promise God wants to use you today. He wants to use you not after you clean yourself up, not after you get to be a better moral person, not after you pray a bunch and read a bunch of Bible verses. He wants to use your story right here, right now. God wants to use you. He wants you to go and tell others that, hey, I was a blind person, but now I see, and he can do that for you too. 
And so my first point this evening was Jesus' eye sees us in our blindness. And the second one is his, our blind eyes, can't see past them, blind eyes can't see past themselves. Which gets me to my third point, believing eyes. And so our guy has just been kicked out of the synagogue. And remember what I told you, when you get kicked out of the synagogue, you're losing everyone that's back there. And mind you, he just got them. He just was in the fellowship with these people, and so he just got kicked out. I imagine he's probably thinking, well, what now? What do I do now? And of course, what our Lord does in his desperate situation, he approaches him again. And so look with me in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and have found him. He's, and, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I, have, I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And so you see Jesus approaches him, and he founds his dude, he finds him, and he starts to reveal himself more to him. And so this guy could see him more clearly. Because Jesus approached him. And so I, I think this is indicative of the Christian life. Is that when we get our new believing eyes, we can start to see Jesus more clearly. Because we start to approach him and be more near to him. And we start to recognize things that we wouldn't have recognized before. So with this guy, for instance, he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he had sinned against the holy God. There's no question about it. He had been told from the time he was born. The Pharisees just told him in verse 34. And I promise you, in his broken state, he knows that before holy God that he doesn't measure up. And so I think that that's the first step. Is that we have to step into the acknowledgement of our blindness before a holy God for us actually to see him more clearly. So if you're growing in your life with Jesus, you're not actually seeing a better snapshot of yourself. You're seeing Jesus more clearly. So here's how it happens. A couple weeks ago, I explained to you that if, we, if we're walking into the light of Jesus, what it does for us, it exposes us. It exposes and illuminates our sinfulness and how deep and depraved that goes. And it also shines above us, showing us how holy and good our God is. And we can walk in that on a daily basis. When I open my Bible, what I am doing is I am entering into Jesus' light. I am having fellowship and community with Jesus. And as I read it, I ask myself the question, what does this say about God's character? And what he does, he reveals to me over and over again. He's saying, look at my holiness. Look at my goodness. Look at my grace. Look at my hope. And so as I'm walking day by day, I'm starting to see how good and holy my God is. And then I go back and go introspective on it and say, okay, God, what are you trying to reveal to me about my sin in my heart? What are you trying to show me and expose in my heart that I've sinned against you and show me the depths of that? And so what I start to see is, well, I have a lack of faith. I have a deep desire for control in my life when it doesn't exist for me. I have a, a desire for other things outside of what I currently have. I have a discontent heart, or he shows me my lack of trust in him. And some of you are sitting in the room thinking, that doesn't feel good if you do that. So why would you do that for growth, right? Like, it doesn't sound like a fun thing to participate in, but here's why it matters. 
if you can see the gap of how high God's holiness is and his goodness and see how deep down your sin goes, what you also see is the beauty of Jesus who stood in that gap on our behalf. It starts to become more clear to you. See, you see the illustration here. The higher you see, the more you see God's holiness. And, and the more we start to walk towards God, we start to see the depth of our sin, the be- more beautiful the cross starts to be. We start to see how deep, how wide, how large, how tall the gap was that Jesus fit. We start to see what it actually took to connect us to the God of the universe. The Christian life gives us true sight. These believing eyes give us a greater picture of life outside of ourselves because we start to see how beautiful our God is and how beautiful his work on the cross is. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that he would do for us that way, do it for us that way? He doesn't say, go work, go be more moral, go do some other things, clean yourself up, and then you can come to me, then you're growing, if you're growing in knowledge and information, and if you're growing in morality. No, he says, if you see my Jesus, if you see the Son of God more clearly than you did before, that's growth. That's what it looks like. And so my third point is, believing eyes see Jesus more clearly as we see the size of the cross more beautifully. In the final verses of this passage, Jesus gives his aim or, or why this all took place in verse 40. And he says, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see, like the Pharisees, if we don't first come to the conclusion that we are spiritually blind apart from Jesus... We're still guilty before holy God. There's no cleaning up of yourself. There's no do enough good things to get you there. You see, they saw that their good works were their way or their ticket to God. And they didn't see the fact that in their performance, they were just covering themselves up in more blindness. Because sight can only be given to those who understand their blindness and be given sight through the Lord Jesus. And so if you're in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you with some good news. Jesus wants to enter into your life right now and give you sight. He wants to offer up and take you from blindness to sight. And the way that happens, it's first coming to the point and saying, hey, I am blind. I am a sinful man apart from Jesus. I have sinned against the Holy God. And if you confess that with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, the Bible says it very clearly you will be saved. You will have gone from blind eyes to eyes with sight. You have gone from death to life. And if you are a follower of Jesus in the room, man, can I press in? Can I press in and say, can you really think about the fact that you were formerly at one point a blind person? You couldn't see anything good. You couldn't see God very clearly at all, and yet he removed the blinders and gave you sight, which is the greatest news you have ever known in your entire life. Don't keep it to yourself. Have the burden to say, no, I want to offer up sight to other people because my God has given me such a joy, such a passion, because I can see him clearly that I want to offer that to other people. Don't waste it. God's aim is to show his glory through the salvation of his people by taking them from spiritual blindness and giving them spiritual sight. Let's pray.